You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Welcome to the Inclusive AF podcast. That's Katie Van Horn. And that's Jackie Clayton. Boom. Welcome. I am so glad. I, you know, Katie, having conversations with you <laughs> is like the best part of my week every week. I, that makes me happy. And I would say the same for you, mostly because I get some amazing, funny stories about your family, Same, which we need to record more often. And then our animals. I want to like, have an interview with every one of your brothers and sisters, everyone. Oh, I don't actually think you mean that. <laughs> I do. I do. I don't think it would be fun for you. I think maybe when I come in town, maybe we can schedule something. There you go. That sounds good. Dinner. It's great because um, one of my sisters and her husband's was listening in their car the other day. And they're like, you sound, you know, it was like, oh, hey, we listened to one of your episodes. And it wasn't like, it was really good. It was, you know, you guys sound a little tinny and you should really fix that. <laughs> okay, maybe I don't. Maybe, maybe that's why you're and, like that. But you know. <laughs> here's the thing. We do it to each other all the time where we are. It's not like, I won't even call it like being critical of each other. It's just, we are like very honest with each other. And so we do say things that maybe aren't, aren't delivered. In the right they way. might need to pray on that because this is, this is. Well, it also comes from, you know, you just said praying. It comes from my good Catholic mother and the Catholic guilt that she likes to share with us. And so I think that has something to do with it too, where it's like the honest to a fault. Got it. And, and she is at times. <laughs> Well, I mean, the opposite is true too, because my mother um, is not like that. She was the op exact opposite. Like I figured out that every day with me wasn't the best day of her life, like 10 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> but while growing up, you I just thought, thought it was, you, it was 2008. Yeah. Literally, I remember the day because I was like, my mom came to watch me do the bike ride in, in um, Lake Tahoe in May, and it was like 30 degrees, and she had to ride a boat, like all of these things. And um, she said to me, I was like, I am so sorry, because I couldn't hang out with her because I was riding my bike. And she said yeah. to me, she looked me dead in the face, put both of her arms around me. She goes, this was the best weekend of my whole life. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. And I was like, oh, and it touched me and I started crying and I told someone, they were like, her wedding must have sucked. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait. But wait, you don't think okay. it was like the best weekend of her whole life? But what? also I hate when people say that like the wedding was the best day of their lives. So I'm like, it's a party. Like it should yeah. be like our honeymoon was the best week of my life or whatever. I don't know. Like. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? But like, still, I knew what he meant. Like we, she literally stood in the rain in 30 degrees <laughs> and waited for you for an hour. But she was out of the uh, house. A, she like was on a boat. Hours. Yeah. She had a boat. Yeah. Was I was going to say, you're, yeah, you're saying you it as if like, oh, she had to ride a boat. She had, she probably was like, this is fun. This is different than what I normally do every day. Fully. But I do like that, that your mom did that for you. Like that it was, you know, you were the. My whole life. Princess. And I have a brother and sister, all of us. It was always like, like, that's why, like, one of the last things, my, um, for those that are listening, so my mother has um, Parkinson's and dementia. And so she does not always really clear, even though she's really sweet. But one of the last things she said was, as I was, um, to me, that was very clear, where I felt like she had a moment of clarity. And she was like, 
you have done such a good job with your children. And it just meant the world to me. I was like, I'm going to keep telling her the same story every day to make her, you know, maybe it'll trigger something. I'm yeah. lucky in that that's what's triggered in my mom. Mm-hmm. Everything is like, wow, you're, you know, you're so pretty and you're so smart and you're so funny. And she's been like that my whole life. I'm so lucky. Unfortunately for my children, I did not inherit that, Jane. <laughs> Should I pull my therapist in now? Yeah. And now we'll say. talk about Yeah. It. Let's talk about why that is, Jackie. <laughs> Only if I can pop bubbles. Yeah, the therapy, no, you leave those alone. So yeah, Jackie, while we were prepping to jump on this call was playing with uh, bubble wrap, um, which I don't know if you know this, when you're on a Zoom call and it's not an ASMR video. (laughs) Not appropriate. It's not so much, uh, it's it's a lot to take on the other end. Um, Yeah, I think my dad was like that as well, where we all kind of, you know, joke around about like, we were all his favorites. Like we each individually thought we were his favorite child. Um, I'm pretty sure I was, but don't tell my siblings. Um, But like, that's just (laughs) how he was. Like everything that you were doing was awesome. He didn't, he wanted to be a part of it. And he was also like one of the most like soft-spoken, quiet, just kind of was there very much the, the steady person um, in our lives or like the constant in our lives. And so it was also really just awesome. Cause he was the one that was like at every game and, you know, showed up for all the things. And, um, and he was just great because yeah, he would make you feel like you were the most important person. Um, and he also had like the best sense of humor. I think that most of my siblings get our humor from him, but like somewhat dry witted and like, we'll say things and people like, wait, what <laughs> did you really just say that? Um, which is funny, awkward segue. It's probably why we're in this work because we think yes. what we have to say is so important. We have <laughs> proof that us doing it, that we do have to share the message, even though. That is um, true. Because what are we talking about today, Katie? So I wanted to talk about and kind of follow up on a conversation that we had with Tara Robertson when she was on the episode. And uh, FYI, she's coming back in June. Yes, Everyone relax. So <laughs> Yeah, get off of us, man. Everyone quit yelling at us. I'm just kidding. Um, We are super excited to have her back. But one of the things that she talked about was just the fact that like, where should diversity, equity, and inclusion um, report to in an organization? And that kind of got us talking and and started to kind of get us thinking about the fact that it's not just the, where does it report to, but also like, how is everyone else accountable to diversity, equity, and inclusion in an organization? I think it's really hard. And I think the more I think about it out, you know, spoiler alert, I don't know if we know the answer. (laughs) Just, I totally do. I'm ready. Oh, I have my notes here. No, 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 no. Well, I I first want to, yes, I I have thoughts and I think there are different places it would work. What I, what I think I get anxious about, like I just recently have heard from two different people. One was talking about a job posting that they saw that the DEI person was actually reporting into like the director, not even the VP, but like the director of town acquisition. Mm. And I was like, interesting. Um, I want to see how that goes. Mm. (laughs) And then another is, is a, uh, it was like a director level, but it was reporting into the VP of recruiting or TA. Mm. Well, see, mm, yeah, let's talk about those first because yes, that let's talk about why that's what's positive there and then why (laughs) maybe that isn't the choice that we would make personally okay so the positive is recruiting is 
part of the work that needs to be done around DEI. Yeah. It's um, good to make sure, you know, that your, your jobs that you post are balanced equally. Yes. You know? Yeah. We want them to be gender inclusive and gender neutral and also uh, region specific mm-hmm. with language. Language. Yes. Yeah. Yep. But I also, um, what else? What's another good reason? <laughs> I think that's it. I think we've nailed it. That's really it. So because. job postings and maybe, and we should say sourcing too, because sourcing is yeah. such a critical factor to getting more diverse pools of candidates. So it can help with the attraction. Yes. And potentially help with the messaging on your job page and help you to develop a policy, maybe a global company wide diversity statement, maybe in theory, hopefully theoretically. Yes. Yeah. And I allegedly, (laughs) allegedly, (laughs) and let's not talk about why maybe that isn't the best choice because you have absolutely zero power or control over whether somebody or not makes the hire and you're so being measured against an organization structure that culturally already is not valuing enough diverse voices is not fair. You can't Mm -hmm. hold me accountable when you've built this culture that isn't necessarily conducive to hiring diverse populations and then say, why don't we hire more diverse people? Right. I think my answer would be another question. Why don't you fire all those misogynistic, sexist, (laughs) racist, (laughs) homophobic, transphobic senior leadership that you have here? And then I would get fired. So that's a bad idea. Um, yes. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm using my improv skills here. I think yes. I agree. Like, I think part of it is like, there is that line in the sand that needs to be drawn that you go, yeah, we're not going to deal with this anymore. You need to leave now. You're not, you're not living our values. You're not part of our culture that we want. Um, but I would say, I like what you're saying on power, but I also would like to say budget. Yes. TA always has a fairly healthy budget. If you look at all of HR or has there's a place for all that money. It's not even you got job ads, the marketing, recruiting tools. None of that is, is bonus. None of it is like training. None of it it doesn't go under uh, the discovery and research or like policy changes, things like that. Yeah. None of it. And so yeah, the budget, all of those things, like that's, that concerns me just because if you don't have power, if you don't have budget, you're kind of dead in the water um, in doing this work. And, and there are things that you can achieve, as you already mentioned, like the job postings and some of those things, you know, the careers page, et cetera, et cetera. But that's, I don't know that that makes, that will make some impact, but probably not the most impact that you could achieve. Well, and, and you know what I was thinking about today and kind of thinking about what we were going to talk today Um is it reminded me of internal audit. By the way, do I have a buzz in my voice? Because I hear a buzz in my ear. Do you hear it? Okay. I don't, but my sister so, will. Yeah, I'll tell your sister. To, never We're mind. really sorry about that I'll buzz. tell her after we get to know each other better. <laughs> I'll tell her what she can do with that. Um, so, <laughs> so what I was thinking about was with that is that it report like internal audit reports to finance, mm-hmm. even though it's overseeing all of the inter- internal policies with all of the companies, because with the understanding that having bad policies impacts the bottom line budget. But I definitely don't think it should report to audit. 
even right. though I kind of wish that we could incorporate some of those policies into diversity work from internal audit. Absolutely. And I think, um, again, I think just, okay, so not reporting to TA. Another option is reporting to the CHRO or the chief people officer. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, again, I would think that there would be a conflict of interest when you're talking about overseeing CHRO. Again, there are so many things that you have to worry about from that office. Um, and I don't know if people who aren't in HR understand how much work, I mean, and I'm laughing to keep from crying when you're talking about wellness programs, overseeing FMLA, having insurance, the stuff that people take for granted at their companies literally take the most work. Making sure you have EAP systems and all of that takes so much work and making sure you have the right one and people just. That's a total rewards is one of those under, you know, under the, the total rewards umbrella where you have benefits, you have pay equity, you have all kinds of, you know, compensation pieces. And that's the one that I'm always like, as a CHRO, like getting to know all of those pieces, because I mean, who wants to read through a, a benefits booklet. Oh, so every really? time you roll out a, a benefit and I can't remember what they're called, actually the benefits, what are they called? The benefits documents. So basically like it explains in detail what will be covered, what won't be covered. And it's the like one that you six, get in your, in your mail in a, no, like, no, 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 no. I'm talking about the one that the head of benefit gets benefits gets. Oh, and that one's like 170 pages or some no, business no. like that. The and one I, that you, like, and they send it to you, the 30 page document, which you promptly throw know. away and say, yes. okay, I, I, I just going to trust you. I'll talk to my HR person. It takes if something comes a up. year. Benefits, yes. a revamp of benefits is a full-time person's job for a full year and you can't turn it in on time. That's me on behalf of every benefits person right. across the world. Right. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight cisgender white men and the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth and together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together, we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um. And I think also the, I mean, the compensation piece, especially right now when people are trying to do pay equity, when they're trying to look at some of the data around that, like I, I it is, I mean, it's, it is painful. It is hard. It would break a person. I think Absolutely. It would, if, if, if diversity and inclusion has to report to that person, I think it could literally break one of those two people. Absolutely. And, and, and in doing that work in my, you know, kind of generalist ish role. You know, I was a, a VP of the business partners first and then moved over into engagement and inclusion. And so I was touching pretty much everything. And there was that, like, I wouldn't want to do this. Like you couldn't pay me enough dollars to do like a pay it. Well, first of all, I couldn't do it. I, I don't think I could deal with all the spreadsheets. So like to it be might clear, have nothing to do with any. Yeah. Of it, I had put like still. a zero in the wrong place and totally yeah, screw everything points up. And numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, not my champ. My not my champ. I can do like some of these four 
cells. That's about all I can do. <laughs> That's what I'm good at. I know how to make pivot tables. Oh, I don't know how to do that even. So yeah, you, you are, you're, so now you're the comp person. Thank you. You just got <laughs> As long as there's no numbers in it, I can just create the equation. Oh, I see. I see. Nope, I can hit enter or else. <laughs> Who knows what might happen. Okay. So no, I think that's too much, but then there's other departments to consider. I think we should talk about it like marketing. Yeah. Okay. So the other option is to have the person to report into, I mean, I've seen finance I mean, I've seen HR report into finance. And so have seen diversity report into finance, but honestly, I think the case that a lot of folks are trying to make, and you know, you'll, you're seeing this a little bit with the chief diversity officer role is folks are trying to figure out how do they actually get more. And I'm, I'm using the word power, but you know, it's kind of the access to the C-suite so having a chief diversity officer that's at the table with the other C-suite members is really helpful. And, and so let's go with that premise. But then from there, like, I think, why is that important? And it's not just budget. It's not just power. It's also the fact that when you talk about a true diversity, equity, and inclusion strategy and program and initiative, whatever you want to call it, every single department is touched. Yes. And to go what you're talking about in case someone's listening, who's like finance, why would you ever, because not being diversified and equitable is a financial liability to your organization and hiring people cost money. So you need to be able to look at all of those things. And if you don't do it right, you get sued. Like, so it's like adjusting all those things to mitigate risk, which I know some people are like, why would it ever it's because well, and that's, that's also why I think legal is so critical is like, you know, as you're updating policies, as you're updating different things, you have to make sure it's written correctly so that it is defensible, all of those things. And so making sure, and also like consistent with what you've done in the past, or, Hey, we're going to start this new thing and we want it to be consistent moving forward. So there's those things. And that's um, the next question. What about reporting to legal? Uh, no, thank you. I love them all. Is that I a work. full no? As I roll back to get more coffee. That's a hard pass for me. I love, let me be clear. I have always loved partnering with legal because um, they just entertain me. And I like, I just like bantering with them. <laughs> you can, yeah. You can ask anyone that I've worked with in that capacity that has been my, you know, legal advisor um, in house counsel. Um, they, we always get along real well mm -hmm. and have a good time, but going back to finance, it's also like, okay, so do you have stock and how do you actually distribute stock and equity? How do you think about that? And so finance has to help with those things. And then it's also just like most companies now, as you're thinking about acquisitions, as you're thinking about your ESG programs or your, you know, any different program investors people that might be buying you or people that you want to buy, you need to have culture, diversity, all those things kind of wrapped into what you're doing. Um, and if you're already diversified and, and your board is diversified, that's looked upon as an asset. Absolutely. Now people are looking to see that it's, it's becoming a requirement in certain mm -hmm. industries. So yeah, yeah, no, in, in certain like California, I think now we're at two, you need to have two board members that are women on, on your board. And I think that is going to continue. Now we need mm -hmm. to still work on other pieces of that conversation, but that's for another day. Yep. Um, but I think the other pieces, like, let's just go down, let's go down the list kind of, of departments in organizations. So we can kind of stay under the finance umbrella procurement. I was going to ask about procurement, which is great 
it could be dicey. I think, you know, um, if in procurement, a lot of people have gone through like a supply chain field. And so you, there's a great chance that the human part will be completely wiped out <laughs> as it is in most things in procurement. You're like, all I need is a pencil. Like, I don't right. care if you got it from like the antique wood jungle, we need pencils. <laughs> Who's the yes. cheapest? Yeah, no, absolutely. But I also think that's, I mean, it's a great point because I think that's, again, what investors, what other vendors, what a lot of, like if any company is like regulated, those are questions that are being asked now. And, and so like my ask is always, Hey, can you at least turn on, flip the switch in your program or whatever it might be, or ask whoever your procurement software is through, can you just track some of the information about, you know, veteran owned, women owned, LGBTQ owned, all of the things that person of color owned. Although yep. I think they call it minority owned, which that's a whole nother, they do, which again, is again, another conversation, another but <laughs> yeah, we're both like, Oh, I'm starting to get the agenda real bad. Can I take a break? <laughs> oh. But like, I think a lot of companies aren't even tracking where are they spending money? And, and then you have the second the worst is when you don't look at freaking stop. <laughs> I get, I'm so okay. Triggered that they don't though, because they're called minority owned business don't have those people at individual silos to see if they're making a great impact. And so many of them are not. It's like, here, I'll put it all in your name. And then now you're a, you know, disabled veteran owned business with some guy who like sits in some office, doesn't even know he owns a whole freaking company so that all these people can like, ugh. Well, we know for years and years, you had wives of CEOs that's who right. had 51% ownership so that it could be a women owned business. And they could get those contracts. Correct. But I, the first thing we need to do is just start tracking it. So I'm not yes. even talking about, you know, changing where you're spending it. But I think the other piece is for so many folks who've been in different industries for a long time, who might be leading procurement or are just taking orders from whoever in the C-suite is doing the purchasing. There's also the, oh, we've always worked with Bob down the road. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to keep, instead of going, okay, we need an RFP for this. Let's start actually figuring out, you know, in the RFP, let's put some language in the RFP. Let's, you know, ask the question of, are they any of these things so that we can at least start thinking about this and looking at it. So again, I'm not saying change your entire process, right. but at least start to look at where are you today? Cause I think that also is extremely eye-opening. Fully. And for those who are not familiar procurement, you're really dealing with purchasing and how organizations get their supplies in order to do the things that they do, whether it be, it can paper. be something, yeah, paper, pencils, staplers, computers, staples, computers, where are they purchasing those things? And a lot of organizations have started to look for um, companies that were owned by underrepresented or um, people. That's mm -hmm. kind of how that goes. So Absolutely. it's a firm no from me for procurement. <laughs> Well, no, I'm not saying reporting to, I'm just saying like, how does DEI impact procurement? So yeah. I'm still saying we're still at the point. We're where, still at that point. Okay. No, DEI yes. is reporting to the CEO now and is at the table with their peers. And so procurement, how would that impact procurement? We just yes. talked about that. How would that impact um, sales? Well, fully it's, it's how you can, where you're going to sell, what, industries, what areas that you have the ability to sell in and how you can, um, it'll affect sales and the materials that you have. 
Absolutely. Um, one of the things that was interesting, I taught a class to, um, um, when I was working with Planned Parenthood and we were talking about that with, with fundraising. So in some organizations, it could be fundraising. It's like, how do we fundraise? And realizing some of the things that we had to deal with, the organization had to deal with as far as marketing to various groups that they didn't have under consideration in order to try to um, get those things. It was an eye-opening experience for me. Absolutely. And I think also in sales, it's, yeah, how are we marketing a product, whatever that product might be? But it's also, and this one I think has come up, it's also leveraging people who are similar to who you are selling to. And so mm -hmm. an example of that could be going in, like I'm going to use cell phone sales, going into communities where people are, um, Spanish is their first language or whatever it might be. I'm using that as an example and, and taking folks who speak Spanish to actually have those conversations about why this phone is better than that phone or whatever. But I think it's also when you're in sales cycles, if it's a longer sales cycle, you're sitting, you know, you're selling to a, a big organization or whatever. If you know, who's going to be across the table during that conversation, have folks that are there that can speak to these topics and can actually help with the sales process, but also represent who's across the table from them. So there is a little bit of, okay, Hey, yeah, I'm talking to other people that look like me that have a similar background that I do have, you know, went to the same school, whatever it might be. Some of those different things that I think we do already in sales. Like, you know, if you have the, okay, Hey, this person went to Princeton. And I also went to Princeton. Let me be the one speaking during this sales or I, conversation. You know, I used to sell when I was in software sales for a short time, I sold to every place where you had an accent, <laughs> like a Texas accent, <laughs> even though. Wait, you have an accent? It was sometimes. Hold on. Let me do a shot. I'll have one by the end <laughs> of the hour. Um, but yeah, I was like, I have a Texas accent and I had to sell to Mississippi, Alabama. And I was like, they all know this is not Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, that this right. is a Texas accent. Right. And I got called out. My boss was listening to me talk and they, the guy goes, are you from Texas? And I was calling into Tennessee and I literally went over the cube and said, I told you. <laughs> they know. They know. Sorry, I they know. They know. Um, but I also but think it's good to talk about give plans when you have a diverse population of a diverse sales team, it helps give different ideas about how you sell things and what audiences and kind of look at it internally more. I think you can share better ideas and that's what's so great about diversity. That's a great I, example of mm -hmm. having different minds at the table that think differently and that do things differently that have different backgrounds that can see even what a tool is used for. Um, that you're selling. How do we position it in these? And we can try all these different ways. So, well, and it's also getting, you know, I think every person in a sales role gets feedback from clients of, you know, if you had this feature, if you had mm -hmm. this, then we'd buy it. And so you also get to hear some of that stuff and get those different ideas. And so having someone at the table that can say, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. And here's why for, I'm going to say my people, that's not, that is that's okay. not inappropriate, I, I but like for, for the group that you're selling to, or for right. the folks that you're trying to attract. Um, okay. Where else can we go? I, oh, marketing, marketing and comms. Yeah. Do we want to, yeah. we'll bundle those together for the sake yeah. of this conversation. I used to not like it. I think you were the one who actually was like, no, I don't hate it. <laughs> we had this conversation before. Don't hate it. Um, 
I think it's really important when you think about it from this perspective, like if you, when you do something positive and you want to be able to share, share it with the world. And especially if you have a misunderstanding, you really rely on the marketing team in order to share that message. Um, And they are the face of your company everywhere it is. And so they need to be able to have the language, the wording, all of those things need to work together and they have the money. I don't know if people know how much marketing gets a lot more money than a lot of the other organizations because they can tie it back to a lead, to a company, to a sale Mm -hmm. that you can track that. Absolutely. And I think for me, marketing, it's also, again, product positioning and kind of who is our market? Who are we trying to sell to? And how do we expand that? How do we grow that? All of those things. But then it's also consistent messaging. So it's not from a reporting standpoint, it's great to have the the tools and resources that they have in marketing. Absolutely. Because I think there are, like you're saying, like, you know, you have your customer segments that you can go, okay, here's how we're going to talk about it here. Here's how we're going to talk about it there. But there's also just like the knowledge, the deep knowledge of the customers. And then also from there deciding, you know, what needs to change, what needs to be better. But I think there's internal conversations as well. Yes. That's what I was just going to say. But it's also like the, how are they and how it's, you know, the internal comms team talking to the people that are in the organization, working with TA and whoever else might be doing recruiting and trying to bring in new talent. And then the third is like, how are they talking externally? So the one that the example I give is, you know, we know most C-suite level um, executives aren't running their own Twitter aren't running their own LinkedIn. Like they're, they're getting blog posts, they're getting content, they're getting different things that someone on their team wrote that they're putting in their name or that they're saying from this company. And then, you know, the CEO blasted out because they have a lot of times a broader range of folks that they're speaking to, interacting with, whatever. And so I think there's also that, like that someone on the marketing team is supporting each one of those C-suite members, knows their voice yes. and knows how to say the right thing at the right time in this certain way for John or for you know, Sally. I, I want to expand on that. You're right. One of the things that's really needs to be clear. And we, I think I've been starting to talk about it more lately than before about how you can be passionate about an, an item, but not be an expert about an item. And one of the reasons why it is important um, to have a marketing ear. And if you don't u- utilize marketing in your DEI at your organizations, if you have one, why you should tap into that is because they have a clear marketing schedule. So they know what's going out. So they know mm-hmm. what the impact is going to be internally that you might not know that we're about to do a major acquisition. Maybe today's not a good time to start telling everybody that they're bad people. Maybe we should just wait just a little, or maybe if you frame it in this reference, like, how can I get the ear of the right people? And they say, if you frame it in this way, you will get their attention because this is what's the next big thing. And the timing to know when the budgets are going in, when they are making purchases, when those things are, when you can just tag onto some other messages, it will be a lot helpful. Then you won't be standing alone. You'll be standing with other people in your organization if you have that information. And hopefully, I mean, and we've seen so many... <laughs> failures at this, but hopefully (laughs) someone on your marketing team is also the voice of reason when folks are trying to be like, oh, we should do this promotion, or we should say these certain things publicly. And you're like, no, never, ever say those words ever in, in your head. Yeah. Like who did this? Yes. And so I think, I mean, we've seen so many of those recently where we're like, 
who approved this? Yeah. I mean, we, we just talked about Basecamp, you know, in one of our last episodes. And so that one is a great one of like, who in marketing and comms didn't go, okay, let's, let's think about this for just a minute. And maybe they did. And you know, obviously he was a CEO and is an outspoken person. So sure. But I think there's, you have to have that voice of reason that also says, Hey, Miss CEO, let's pause on this for a moment. And let's think about the implications. Like I've said this to you a million times, like HR has to think not what this policy practice procedure, whatever will happen. It's mm-hmm. what could happen. That's the worst mm-hmm. case scenario. What could happen five steps What's down the, the road? Mm-hmm. And that's PR, that's marketing, that com- that's comms to me. And I will tell you a true story about that happened to me and my company. I want I want a fake story first, please. A fake story first. Okay, so I was walking in the woods, this freaking wolf out of nowhere. Okay, just kidding. Um, but literally at Seekout. So when we closed our Series B, and we were so excited, mm-hmm. we grew in our organization. We post the press release, and it's our founders, right? And one of the investors like jumping in the air, and I think it was like five people like from with from India, Indian descent, and a white guy, and people. We're like, oh my God, like I see, really see the diversity, like, and had all this attitude and we're being so rude about it publicly, just being rude about that in regards to our product, even though everybody at the organization was like, we don't get it because we know these people, we know the mindset, we know what they're leading. And Mm -hmm. yeah, they were friends, like every startup on the planet, a bunch of friends getting together to build this tool. Um, But we learned I mean, nobody asked me, I didn't, I didn't think of it, but it's like, I thought of it when I saw it. Cause it's like, they all have jeans and they're all from Seattle and they look like they're from Seattle in mm-hmm. the picture. <laughs> they all look. What does looking like Seattle hipster or uh, lumberjack or sweater? it's kind of a cross okay. between JC Penny, like, and LL Bean. Yeah, 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 yeah. LL Bean. LL Bean. Yeah. Fully. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. That's a great point. No, no offense, LL Bean. We love LL Bean. We love Very. all the L's and the beans. Pinto, Let's talk about Black LL Bean. If you want to be our sponsor, we're open. <laughs> to- <laughs> we'll, we'll be willing to cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but fully. So it was like, I understand that's what it's looking like. Like, we maybe we should have thought that through if it came back from my, like, what is this going to happen from a PR standpoint where mm-hmm. we should be saying instead we're building and growing? And what was funny is as soon as I saw it, I was, because me being the DEI strategist, right? Anything attached to diversity will come on my desk at some point. Absolutely. And the fun, the good, the good bad news was the founders looked at it and they said, oh, yeah, we totally earned that. Like we, we, they were just like, yep. Didn't Should think that, that through a little bit. Yeah. Like, dang. Yep. She's they're right. Like we can't even be, we can't even right. be mad about that. Right. Um, so we learned an important lesson there. Um, but I think other people don't think about that, how much that that's one. It didn't talk about any of the other things that we've done or our, our volunteer mm-hmm. efforts or our corporate responsibility. All it said was like, oh, great. Look at this startup from Seattle. Right. And in other organizations that are bigger, if diversity doesn't play a part, there's stuff that's absolutely devastating to your career. Like you will still get the blame for it if diversity is in your title, that you let this happen. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. 
This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, again, I think there's just this piece that we have to be thoughtful about of putting that lens to everything we do. Cause it's also, I mean, and we've talked about this a little bit, like in your careers page, don't get some stock photos of like, you know, one white person, one black person, one, uh, you know, someone of Asian descent, uh, one, like, don't do that where you basically try to make a Benetton ad. Like it, it doesn't, like that stock. just doesn't resonate. And it looks super weird. But I also think there's the, like, be realistic. So like that picture, I get, I get it. You got heat for it, but I also am like, but it was real. It and was so real. that's, so that's also mm-hmm. like the piece that it's more like, okay, that's, that's really who we are. So there's that balance that you have to strike also between who we really are and where we want to go or, you know, how we want to consider some of the stuff. So that's also in the messaging of like, here's this picture. And how do you think about that kind of, you know, how that's going to show up? Um, Engineering and IT. How does DEI show up in engineering and IT? Girl. Do you want me to go? Yeah, please. Two clips. (laughs) (laughs) So data security would be my first one. Um, Just because I think, you know, good one. Folks don't think about the fact that, you know, the source of all truth Someone in IT actually owns that. And yes, there can be HCMs or, you know, ATSs and all these things that different departments, i.e. HR are using. But when you think about your customers, your vendors, all of these, the data that you're taking in, especially if you're asking some of these questions needs to be kept confidential. And there also needs to be audits of who has access. Cause we, you and I have talked about the fact that like in recruiting, whoever can see demographic data of candidates cannot be part of the hiring decision, period. They can get aggregate reports after the fact, but they should not know that so-and-so that applied is clicking these three boxes or whatever. Now they're going to probably see a visual when the person walks in the door. Okay. They're a female, they're uh, whatever, but I, I think it's just really data. Data I'm needs glad to be that protected. You did that. I'm glad that you brought that up. I was thinking of it from a different space and where I went and why I was like, girl, is because I am the bearer of great news always to engineering organizations <laughs> when I'm like, hey, this isn't ADA compliant. Um, you literally have to um, redo complete, full, complete sites. Like for an example, you have an, a site in your, and you sell widgets and you have pictures of all the widgets that people can order, but you don't have any script on the back end so that if somebody is visually impaired, you have to go back and enter in every single tag, every explanation for it to be compliant. And or the colors of all these things or the other pieces where it does become important. At first, you might not think about it as diversity being there, but someone has to check and monitor that it's accessible by everyone. Absolutely. Yeah, I love that's a hugely valid point, because I also think that happens with, you know, I mean, you can talk about QA underneath, which is doing testing of those very things like should the button be blue or green or black so that it's more, you know, able to be seen visually or whatever it might be. So just being thoughtful about some of that stuff. 
And then I think there's also the, obviously, and this is, I'm not making an assumption, but I am going to state something that is a little bit of an assumption. So in most organizations, I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to defend. To, I'm totally going to. Yeah. I'm trying to defend my statement, which I shouldn't, but most organizations that we are familiar with, one of the places that they lack diversity is in engineering. Fully. And so acknowledging that and then realizing that like you, your team as the engineering team is going to be hand in hand with TA going, how do we do this differently, better, whatever it might be. And all of the things that go with that, you know, Hey, are your engineering teams talking about what you're doing around diversity? So if someone sees them on LinkedIn, they're going to go, Oh, Oh, wow. This might be actually a place that I can be myself and I can do great work and all of those things. Um, and so I just, I think there's, the reason why I wanted to have this conversation is just because I think so many times it is kind of, it falls at HR's feet. And it's like, so not, I mean, it's like not even the whole, you, they can do it perfect. Mm-hmm. It can completely still fall apart. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it's also like, it's the support of, like if we're rolling out a new policy around talent reviews, every leader in the org needs to be on board to say, yeah, this is why we're doing this differently. We're trying to block bias or we're trying to do whatever we're doing. And I think there's just a, a, a little bit of a miss there. Mm. And I know, it, I don't think it's an intentional miss. It's just a, again, the lens I'm looking through, the lens you're looking through is DEI. And not everyone else is doing that. And, and like you said, you're looking at pictures, you're looking at everything that might impact yes. DEI or the DEI messaging. Yes. And how does that impact the company? And it's the same thing for me. Like I, you know, it's how will this policy, how will this procedure, how will tracking some of these things, how will looking at some of this stuff impact the org? And, you know, I think it's so positive. Like when you have a procurement team that's tracking that information and, and can share that with a prospective investor, they're like, oh, wow, you guys are like doing the things that we're going to be asking about. And more and more companies are asking for this information. If they're going to partner with you, if they're going to buy from you, if they're going to whatever the thing might be, they want to know what is your company makeup? What are you doing around these different topics? How are you handling some of these things? So everyone needs to know. Sales needs to know what are we doing around diversity and inclusion so they can talk about it if the question is asked. So I think that's great. And also it's funny because in my um, area, uh, my specialty, people will say, well, are you afraid, you know, like, oh, your product is going to introduce bias. And it's like, oh, honey, if you think the bias lays in the database, let me tell you what's in the office. Right. Like you, you, this is a scarier piece. And there are so many things, well, we should continue talking about because there's so many things where diversity goes into you. That's why I'm getting the adjunct real bad. I'm getting cramps mm-hmm. because it's like all of these, have we gone through all the departments yet? Cause my, I'm starting to twitch. My eyes are starting to twitch. Um, I think pretty much, I'm sure there's other ones sure. that, you know, if you're talking about like a, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking mostly about for-profit. So in nonprofit, there's other things that you would need to yes. think about, but just sticking with for-profit for this conversation. So you stop twitching. Um, I think it's good. <laughs> I'm trying to save you today so on this, oh. on this beautiful oh. Sunday. I don't want you to, I don't want you to be twitching the rest of the Sunday that you have. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it is just like, how can we, how can we really help to educate all the teams 
And so like this conversation, I, I hope that each person that hears this steps back, steps back and looks at their org and the departments within their org and who is in the C-suite that you can go, okay, for this, you know, hey, for the chief revenue officer, here's what they're going to care about. For, you know, the chief, the CIO, CTO, what are they going to care about? All of those things. And so just starting to like really dig in for your own org to say, why will this matter to them or what impact will this have on them? Because it is a shared work. It's yeah. not just HR pushing things out and everyone going, oh, great. Another thing from HR, everyone needs to be committed. And, and yeah, I think there's, we could talk about this for four more hours because I think it is one of those things that there's so much to it and so many layers to it that folks haven't thought of or hadn't, you know, and so it is just like, oh, HR will take care of it. Like, we don't need to worry about that. And let me be clear, HR does have a huge role in this. I mean, there's like- At the bottom of this, there's our people. Yes, employee life cycle. Yeah, how are you sourcing? How are you onboarding? How are you providing development? How are you um, giving them career paths and career opportunities? How are you looking at their pay and their compensation? How are you, like all of the things that would impact an employee need to be part of this conversation as well. But within that, it is okay. So for, I mean, I don't know if I've told you this story. I might've told you this story before, but I'm going to share it again. Oh, so good. as part of uh, calibration sessions, so this is where you do the talent reviews and the, the leaders rate their teams, but then you usually come together as a leadership team within each kind of each level, if you will, to talk about the level ones, twos, and threes during this meeting or the level fours and fives in this meeting or whatever it might be. So you're calibrating against your peers. How did they rate folks? Okay. And as part of that, you are ho hopefully telling them a little bit about, you know, how should you write your review to make sure you're not using language that is discriminatory or biased or whatever. So that it's the whole thing of like, you know, in reviews, women get called aggressive and, you know, not good at communication or not a team player. And men get called, um, what's the word? Like they're doing a good job because they are like pushing mm. and they're, mm -hmm. what's, I don't, um, I, uh, I know, I know what you're you know, talking what about. I'm thinking of anyways. So like things like that, but then it's also when you're in those calibration sessions, it's fascinating to watch the peer group of leaders start to dig in on, well, why did you rate this person as an X or as a Y or whatever? And then starting to see it also on the full picture. So when you like, I'm going to use the nine box because that's one of my favorite tools is the nine box and looking at that and then laying out, okay, everyone that is a level one engineer in this organization, here's how they were rated. And then you start digging in on the demographics of each one of those nine boxes. And you start to see some trends that you're like, Ooh, okay, let's talk about that some more. There's, there's no women in the nine box. So in the mm -hmm. highest rating that they can have, why is that? Let's talk about it. Let's think about that, whatever it might be, or there's no person of color that's on any of the, you know, six, seven, eight, or nine box. So that, you know, top four boxes that it could be, why is that stuff like that, that you're helping just to have a calibration session. When you start to have the leaders check each other and like correct each other on how they're talking about their team members, how they're rating their team members, all of those things, you're literally, and I, I mean, I can remember this day sitting in a room and I was like, Oh my God, they get it. They have mm -hmm. heard us and they're doing the thing that we have asked them to do. And that now has happened multiple times in these conversations with different companies where they're having these calibration sessions 
And they're like, oh, well, we talked about this. We made sure, like, we actually, someone said aggressive about, you know, this one woman. And we just told him maybe that's not the right language to use. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> you get a gold star. <laughs> You've grown up. You've graduated. Um, but like, honest, like I'm joking, but it is like, honestly, like that's when you go, holy shit, they get it. They get it and they're doing it. And now, I mean, there's, again, that's not the, the end. There's still more work to be done. But it's stuff like that, that you're like, hey, yes. engineering leads, you all heard me and you're starting to do this. And this will change the course of people's careers. That's what we're also trying to do. Like, how are we thinking about people's lives and careers? Because it is people. It all goes back to people. How are you helping them? How are you hindering them in their progress? I, I, and I, I feel like it's amazing. Like, I will, I will, and I use my company as an example in within, you know. The world not i don't try to disclose everything because i no, 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 no. my job i got yes. two babies in college i need to get my foundation done that's yes. very expensive yes. um but the other day um one of our engineering like like suggested an article and it was about hiring in diversity and i'm like what this is so great um and it, it makes you a little like it makes you a little like your heart my heart um, I report to the CEO and I dotted line to every single group. Mm -hmm. But what I found at first was I was like, okay, this is going to be rough. Right. But what I've found, and part of this is through building relationships is that it actually works to have a dotted line because I have an ally in every single group because I'm sharing, like, this is the various sentiment. These are the things that we need to consider. Do you agree with that? And then I, as well as them, have an ear to the CEO of the company. So mm -hmm. we're not doing it apart. And so I can say, okay, I hope maybe my CEO won't be listening, but maybe, you know, if it's something I can say, hey, head of, you know, customer success, this is something that I need. I can tack some of those needs onto those groups because it's going to benefit those pieces of the organization. Like, is there something, what are you working on right now? And can I piggyback on that? Like, are you implementing, utilizing, considering utilizing an LMS that I can utilize for this? Are you considering taking notes that I can utilize for our interview process? Like trying to connect all of those pieces together. And I think that's important because the work is so hard and some days you feel like you're all by yourself to try to create these relationships and have, even if you don't report today to the executive level, mm -hmm. you need to try to analyze those relationships to see where the barriers are going to be that can get in your way and, mm -hmm. and submit it to your person. And if they don't respond, you just keep going up until someone says, I hear you. I see this. Right. Um, of where you think the, cause the barrier sometimes is your boss. Right. Um, but make sure and see where the relationships and all of the different departments that we just talked about, because you can add to all of those organizations as well to make sure that you're reaching those goals and that you can look at it through um, a DEI lens. I think every department would benefit from it. Um, and it would just help you sleep at night knowing that people are still working on that. But then you're also sharing, this is not just about, you know, black and brown people and women that this is about a bigger picture and in order for us to be successful we all need to be working on this even if you're the only person with diversity next to your name on your business card awesome and amen so <laughs> and whoop whoop and hallelujah 
Yes. <laughs> Happy Sunday. Um, Jacqueline, what is your one lesson? What is one thing you want to make sure people take away from this conversation? Um, I, I think it would be going back to that. Don't take it. Don't take it alone. Don't do it alone. Find people that can support you in those various groups and try to leverage your relationships into what you're needing. But also, it, you'll be able to get your job done no matter who you report to. Just be aware and get a clear understanding of what you need to do. Was this two things, three things? What you need to do if you feel like you're unable to meet your goals as a DEI leader. Absolutely. Um, my one thing is, you know, something I said a little bit earlier of, you know, we just gave, we kind of just ran through some departments, but sit down and think about who your C-suite is and like what departments you have in your organization and how each one of them will be impacted and can impact DEI in your organization. So make it real for your team and your organization, and then have a conversation with the CEO, with the C-suite about here's how this will impact you and what help I need and what support I need. Um, if you are in this role and if you're not, and you're just in HR and you're like, Hey, start talking to folks about like, how else does this impact each department to make sure everyone gets that this is, we're all accountable. We all have a part in this. Um, and then also, um, if you don't follow Jackie on, um, social media, you should, because she just posted some adorable photos of her son yeah. who just went to prom last night and is yeah. the cutest thing ever. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't hung up yet, or you're still watching, you haven't turned it off yet. Um, if there's a topic you'd like for us to talk about, let us know. And also we'd love it if you if you would give us a rating online, if you're, you know, if we haven't, if you're still listening, you owe it to all of us to rate our podcast <laughs> yeah. so we can make content that's valuable to you. Absolutely. So yeah, I think, yeah, reach out. We're, we're on a lot of different social medias. I know we have folks that are chatting with us online, but also, you know, if you want to, you can um, shoot us an email. You know, we do have an email as well that we have set up. Um, so it's info at inclusive podcast.com and, you know, shoot us a note, let us know how we're doing, what you'd like to see. If you'd like to be a guest, feel free to reach out again. That's info at inclusive podcast.com. Um, all right. Signing off for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. Bye. <laughs> The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain -brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.